Well, I want to tell you that every truly defining decision you have ever made in your life, a truly defining decision is carried with it a high element of risk, right? Think about it. Think about when you took a job, for example. You're excited about it, but you, you didn't know everything you're getting into, so there was risk. Think about when you decided what school, for those of you who went to college, and it's this, that, I don't know, and you made your decision, you were excited, but there was a high element of risk. Many of you decided to get married, right? Yeah, and uh, it's a good decision, but did you say no, it's not? <laughs> Heather... Oh, no risk. I thought you said it wasn't a good decision. Come on, girl. That's not what she said, so let's not get that thing going. Listen, it was an important decision, a very high element of risk. Some of you decided to have children. That's great, but risky, right? Because it turns out you can't give them back, right, once they come. So that's kind of a big deal. No decision that you have made in your life had a greater element of risk attached to it than your decision to follow Jesus Christ. That is a risky, risky thing to do. Let's pray. Lord, we invite you to come now in the present power of your Holy Spirit and speak to us from your word. Nobody came to listen to me. They came to hear you. And so I surrender myself to you and ask you, Lord, to do that amazing thing that you do. And you take the words that flow out of my mouth and you translate them somehow between me and them so that each person hears the message that you want to speak to their hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the most dangerous sport in the world is something called base jumping with a wingsuit. A lot of people die doing this. And what it is, as you may already know, is people go to a really high place, a mountain or something like that, and they have this nylon suit on that when they stretch out their arms, wings come, and often between their legs, wings come, and they jump. They just jump. And they've learned how to maneuver this thing so that they don't fall straight down. They are descending with every moment, but they can carry themselves in a direction because they get a little bit of lift from this thing that, that doesn't cause them to fly. It just slows their descent. Now, that sounds crazy enough in itself, right? That, that, does that sound like a risky thing to do? I can't imagine the first person who did it, right? That, that's the one who took the biggest, I think this will work. I'm going to jump. Maybe there were a lot of people who were part of the process who jumped before it worked. I don't know. But it's a risky thing to do. But with the high, great, greatest levels of risk, and you're like stunned over there. You're looking at the heck going, are, are you serious? <laughs> I know what I'm saying is fascinating, but never before have I had your attention this way. 
I don't feel like you're looking exactly at me, but thank you, Lord, that they're all looking up. Thank you, God. Not only do these people jump, but they try to use the benefit of thermal updrafts that are along sides of mountains so that they learn to fly as closely as possible to the edge of these structures to get that sense of lift. That becomes increasingly risky, right? Now, they do have a parachute so that when they run out of room, and they're often just a couple of hundred feet from the ground, they yank the cord and they make their way to the ground. But man, it is risky business, yes? It is risky risky business. We've started a series called Armed and Dangerous. And this series is meant to help you to become equipped to be used by God in his kingdom uh, to actually be a person who is equipped with the power of the Lord, the power of the Word of God, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, so that you can become armed with the things God wants to arm you with and dangerous to the enemy because we're at war. We're at war. And as I told you last week, I skipped to the end and we win, so it's all good. But we're at war in the meantime, and God wants to make us armed and dangerous. And uh, we're using uh, the Apostle Peter, the disciple Peter, as a character study and just looking at... I just love the attention I'm getting here. This is fantastic. I... I'm so grateful to God. I feel like the Holy Spirit has just got you riveted up here today for some reason. It's remarkable, Kathy. You could just see their faces. They're all... And uh, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, we're using Peter as a character study, right? And looking at examples in the life of Peter to discover what it is that can transform us. The key word is transformation. Transform us from people who aren't armed and dangerous to people who are. Last week we looked at Peter's call and that God was the interrupting God. He just broke in, didn't he? He just broke into the life of Peter. He interrupted Peter doing his thing, making his money, and he just came in and then it demanded a response from Peter and Peter, he just surrendered control. It says that straight away, immediately, he just got up and he followed Jesus. He left everything. And so if you want to experience transformation, the kind of transformation that the Bible describes, it starts with, a, with not a partial surrender, but a full surrender of the control center of our life over to God, as we talked about last time. Okay. Um, what we want to do now is we want to move on to the next thing that happened in the life of Peter in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. We want to look at this amazing thing that happened in the life of Peter. And if you have a Bible, please turn there or scroll there or whatever in the world it is you do. And if not, listen up while I read this passage for you, okay? By the way, if you don't own... Oh, it's a tall one today. A tall one. It's tall water. I know, I'm the one who thought of it, right? It's like... You won't even think of it. What were we talking about? If you don't have a Bible, thank you. You may go. Your work is done. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, please see us. We would love to give you a Bible, okay? 
doesn't mean if you forgot to bring it, that's on you. But, I mean, if you want one and don't have one, we'd love to give you one. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. We need a little context here, don't we? Who's the crowd? Look upstairs in your Bible. What just happened? He just fed 5,000 with a handful of stuff. It was amazing. And Jesus said, go. Immediately he made them. He said, no, it's, it's not a question. It's a command. Go. Get in the boat. Go. He made them get into the boat and go on ahead on the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith. He said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you're the Son of God. Man, there are so many things to take away from this passage, right? I mean, let's start by noticing that after the big power encounter with, the, with feeding 5,000, Jesus himself needed to be alone. Jesus himself needed to retreat. You remember in the, in the Soul Care series when we talked about stillness and solitude? That is an essential aspect of our life with God. We've got to retreat. We've got to get alone with God. We've got to get still. And we see that right away. You know, we see the command of Jesus. There's a command that Jesus has. You know, we're such a democratic society, and we're such a a culture of individualism, that we kind of sometimes approach the Bible, I think, as though it's optional. And it's not. Jesus commands us. He doesn't suggest to us, right? If you want to be transformed, when you give over control, you follow the command of the Lord. Okay? And uh, so many things that we could take away from this. I mean, obviously... Don't take your eyes off Jesus when you're walking on water, right? Clearly, that's not a good thing to do. I think the lessons, the application's pretty obvious. You ever been in a storm? You ever been in a storm in your life? You ever started to sink? Did you ever notice that you really weren't calling out to the Lord during that time? And when you do, the whole thing changes because since Jesus reached out his hand, he didn't say, well, Peter, you know, you shouldn't have looked away. Hope you can swim back to the boat. He reached out his hand, right? And he lifted him up. And that's principle to live by there. But I think the thing that I really want you to see is uh, that the element of risk that Peter took in order to follow Jesus. Um, Risk. You know, I mean, it's another thing that's really obvious is there were 12 disciples in the boat, right? How many got out? Uno, correct. Okay, one guy takes the risk, 11 others are in the boat in the storm going, right? 
They're just all stressed out. One guy took the risk. One guy had that transformation experience. One guy had that story to tell for the rest of his life about how Jesus can do that. The other 11 just watched. One guy took the risk. The one who risks the most stands to gain the most in the kingdom. The one who takes the biggest risk in walking with the Lord stands to gain the most. Risk. Taking the risk. Now, risk uh, is countercultural. Uh, we're a bike helmet society now, aren't we? I mean, good Lord, we got seat belt laws and helmet laws and holy mackerel, strapping our grandkids, our little grandkids into the car to go somewhere. It's like going to space with these kids, right? I mean, you got this, I don't even click them in and they got to be backwards and the air thing got to be off and all this stuff. It's like, holy mackerel. I remember when Brian, our oldest son, I had a, I had a 64 Barracuda and yeah, oh yeah, baby, I'm talking. And it had a stick shift here, but he wasn't afraid to stand on the console as we drove along, you know? Yeah, yeah. Hey, how you doing, buddy? He's like two, three years old, right? And, and uh, you remember those days? I know it was bad in an accident. You know, children became projectiles, right, and all that stuff. I, I get it that there's a reason for it, but what's happened, I'm not against safety, but what's happened is we have become a, 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 a overwhelmed with safety, a safety-obsessed society, Right? Yeah, I want things to be safe, but what it's done is it's taken away our sense of risk. And if you want to be transformed by Jesus Christ into an armed and dangerous person the way Peter was, you've got to take risk. You've got to include risk in your life. The more you risk, the more transformation will occur, and that's countercultural. Another thing about risk is that risk is paradoxically liberating. I mean, um, it's liberating, for example, from worry. Anybody worry? Don't raise your hand. And there are some worriers in the room. You just worry about stuff. You worry about things. Worry about this. Worry about that. And you'd think that living a life of risk because of the danger would increase your worry. It's paradoxically liberating from the stuff that we commonly worry about. Because what we commonly worry about is whatever would threaten the status quo of our lives, right? We worry about whether we're going to have enough money for this. We worry about whether we've got the right health insurance. You know, we worry about this, we worry about that. And if you think about it, so much of the worry that we, that, that we allow ourselves to have is, is connected with, I like things the way they are, I want to protect them the way they are. Now, when you step into a risk relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, that stuff takes on a whole different significance. You know, when I was in some of the far reaches of India doing kingdom power ministry, I wasn't worried about anything. I wasn't worried about the electric bill. I wasn't worried about whether I needed to get the oil changed or whether my car was going to make another. That stuff just doesn't even cross your mind, right? 
I just want to tell you that we get caught up in our society in protecting ourselves, protecting our stuff. We worry about that stuff. When you step into radical risk with Jesus, that you know he, he's promised he's going to take care of that stuff, right? When you step into radical risk with Jesus, you come into company with Jesus, and in doing that, that stuff takes on a whole different uh, significance. Risk is also essential to the transformation from wherever you are to becoming armed and dangerous. You won't make the change if you don't incorporate risk with Jesus regularly into your life. It's essential. It's like last week when delivering the control center over. That's the beginning. And now, you, you know, Peter could have stayed in the boat. He made a decision. He made a decision to do the risky thing. And that's a decision that we can make. Am I going to live comfortably? Or am I going to go for it and risk it? So risk is that second sequential dimension of God's transformation process that, that we started talking about last week. We will not experience true transformation without meeting God at a point of authentic risk. You say, hey, recommend some... Uh, Reading for me, Tom. Go ahead, I dare you. I'm going to hit the tall one. All right, I got some passages for you. Genesis 22. Uh, jot that down if you don't have an outline. Check that out this week. Abraham takes Isaac up to the altar to kill him. Was that a risky response? <laughs> Was Abraham transformed? Some of you are brand new to the Bible and you don't know if it happened or not. All right, cool. Wait till you get to that. 1 Samuel 17, David shows up taking provisions to his brothers, ends up fighting Goliath. Was that risky? Did it transform him? Yeah. Acts chapter 9, verse 10, Saul of Damascus is just converted. He's on the road to Damascus. And God tells a disciple named Ananias to receive him and pray for him. That's a powerfully risky thing for him to do, given that Saul was killing Christians. But he risked it. I think any bio, most, I mean, the biographies of the great Christians who lived through the centuries will always show you risk. And you're going, oh, man, biographies are so long. Here's a really good one, 25 classic Christian biographies. And it's only this thick, because that's how thick my phone is. So I don't really know how many pages it is, but I'm just saying, these things are like, I would say, 15-minute reads each, you know, and it just really talks about the highlights of, of, of these guys' lives. And it'll, you'll see risk. You'll see risk in every one of them. Okay, so there's some, there's some recommended reading for you. I think what we're, what we're talking about today is that we're, we're saying that the gospel cuts right straight across typical American Christianity, which is a Christianity of comfort, right? I mean, let's think about it. A lot of, a lot of the church in America has, has gone by the way of we need to attract people and their hearts are good. You know, we need to lead people to Jesus. And so we need to make things as comfortable as possible for people to come in, right? 
And you can go to places, it's really sweet deal, right? They'll bring you coffee and everything. they got people going down the aisles. Hey, can I get you anything while you listen? No, I'm just kidding about that. But you know what I'm saying? What happens is we start not preaching the gospel anymore. Because if being comfortable is our goal, we're not reading the Bible I like to be comfortable, of course, but I don't demand it. I like to be happy, but I don't demand it. What I really demand of myself is am I following Jesus Christ, right? And, G- and following Jesus Christ always carries with it such an element of risk. Two of my favorite authors are, are, are David Platt and Francis Chan. Some of you guys have read these guys and... David Platt with a radical book, you know, Francis Chan, crazy love stuff like that. I just love seeing, watching some of his stuff on, on the YouTubes. Yep, I'm up to that level so far technologically, so it's pretty neat. Actually, uh, <laughs> these guys, are, I think in a lot of ways, are models of what we're talking about. Because they kind of had it all in the mega church kind of. The mega church was there for the asking if they wanted it. And they, you know, Francis Chan in particular just said, I quit. And he walked out and he just started developing small intentional communities, small groups of people. And he just realized that, you know, this, this isn't it. This isn't, this isn't the gospel. If comfort is the goal, right? There's always risk. When we take the risk out of our gospel life, we're not following Jesus anymore. Okay. So we might think that this is a good picture of what it means to follow Jesus. I have a better picture. Are you ready? It's this. You feel the risk? Can you see that I'm doing it anyway? <laughs> it's about risk. It's really all about risk. Hey, Tim Harris, I saw you up here praying. What's that line on Schedule C that says how much of your something is at risk, right? And you're a text guy, so you could explain it. But it has to do with Schedule C is a business form, how much profit loss from business. Don't ask me how I know that. But it just it says how much of your investment or something like that is at risk. And what the answer to that determines what you, can, what you can deduct as a maximum loss. Is that a short answer? You would say yes, because you're so nice. You would say, Tom, that is not even close, you know. <laughs> but I love that line. How much of your stuff is at risk? How much is at risk? Because it just brings up that question, doesn't it? How much of your life is at risk? It's so easy to fall into the pattern of protecting the status quo. Listen, a being grateful that you're not the heinous sinner that you used to be, right? Yeah, hallelujah is right, me too. I'm glad I'm free from all that stuff, but that is not a resting place. That is not a place to stop. That's a place also to be from. You know how that sin life that you were living so hard is now a place you're from? That's where I came from. 
Today is a place to be from. It's a place to be from. This isn't what you were going for. You're not done yet. And if, if the element of risk, if all the ducks are in a row, if you're just going through checking the boxes, if the risk is gone, you are not following Jesus. You may be saved, but you're not following Jesus anymore. Would you pray about that? Would you just ask the Lord? Let's do it right now. Lord, how much of my life is at risk? How much have I brought to the space between you and the boat? Am I one of the 11? Am I just watching other people risk it and get the transformation? Am I just trying to steady the boat? Am I just waiting for the storm to be over? Am I just, am I just sitting here clutching the oar? Or am I saying, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come to you on the water. Holy Spirit, we welcome you now in our time of reflection on that, thinking about that and what we're going to do next. Some of you guys right now, you're stirred. This passage, this talk has caused you to want to do something or want to want to do something. Maybe you don't even have an idea of what it is God's calling you to risk. Would you just come into His presence and would you ask him? How much of my stuff is, am I holding with a loose hand? Is it yours, Lord? I mean, I appreciate the stuff, but none of it's mine. If somebody needs it, they can have it. How much of my, my bank account is at risk? Or is it carefully guarded? How much of my time, how much of my my vacation time is at risk. Am I going to be one of those teams that goes to Florida or Texas? Am I going to be in one of those caravans that goes down here before long and, and risks that for transformation? Just ask him. I'm not trying to get you to do anything except ask him. We bless your name, Lord. Our hearts just long for you. Life doesn't make sense without you. Invite you to come, Lord, and stay in our hearts. We've opened the door. We invite you to close it behind you. I thank you for these people, Lord, each one of them. I thank you for the ragged mess that we are as a church. I thank you for the great thing this is, this place is because of it. Come and continue to work in us, Lord, and empower us, change us. Come 
continue to inspire us to follow you and risk your greater ways so that you can get all the glory, Lord. We pray in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you. Be nice to each other on the way out, okay? <laughs>